Hello and welcome to the Cafe Bitcoin podcast, brought to you by Swan Bitcoin, the best way to buy and learn about Bitcoin. I'm your host, Alex Danton, and we're excited to announce that we're bringing the Cafe Bitcoin conversation from Twitter Spaces to you on this show, the Cafe Bitcoin podcast, Monday through Friday, every week. Join us as we speak to guests like Michael Saylor, Len Alden, Corey Clipston, Greg Foss, Tomer Strohlight, and many others in the Bitcoin space. Also, be sure to hit that subscribe button. Make sure you get notifications when we launch a new episode. You can join us live on Twitter Spaces Monday through Friday, starting at 7 a.m. Pacific and 10 a.m. Eastern every morning to become part of the conversation yourself. Thanks again. We look forward to bringing you the best Bitcoin content daily here on the Cafe Bitcoin Podcast. All right, all right. Good morning to all of you Cafe Bitcoiners. Was that okay? How was the volume on that thing? That was Tip NZ, by the way, with Contillioner's game. It was a little quieter than usual. Okay, good to know. Good morning, Peter. Good morning, Don Bay. Everybody out there? How are you guys? I'm tired as fuck. Good. Oh, there, there you have it. I, I don't know what's going on. It's I don't know if it's a if it's a circadian rhythm thing or I'm just old as fuck. But for whatever, two cups of coffee hasn't helped. Do you get up and look into the sun in the morning? It's been overcast every morning, but I, I wish the sun was out. Peter, it's called Mono, and it's called the Orange Pill app. You know, I was having a conversation with the Orange Pill app, and uh, um, the uh, the movie that every Bitcoiner needs to watch that's never heard of is being there, Peter Sellers. We've given up on this. Shout out to Derek Ross. Look at that new profile picture. The handsome dude. All right. Welcome to Cafe Bitcoin. Good morning, everybody. Let's get rolling here. Our mission for this show is to provide the signal in a sea of noise and teach the other 7 billion people on this planet why there is hope because of this bright orange feature that we call Bitcoin. Today's show, we're going to be talking about Bitcoin as usual. We're going to be shining the light on a few things that the lizards apparently are pretty excited about a little bit later in the show. Also, later, second hour today, we've got Muzz from Lightning Ventures. He's going to pop on here and give us an update on what he's looking at, what he's working on, what he's doing, what he thinks is exciting nowadays. So I'm looking forward to getting his take as well. Right on. Let's just dive right into some stuff. Vanguard. Managing $7 trillion AUM has purchased a 10.24% stake in Riot Mining. Wow. That's interesting. <clears throat> Somebody mentioned, well, institutions are here. There's still a lot of discussions going on in regards to this. BlackRock ETF speculation about whether it's going to pass, whether it's not going to pass. They had a, a former, I guess, SEC chairman on there 
on the news recently today, was it? Maybe yesterday anyway, talking about this. Um, discussing the efficacy of the surveillance uh, tools that they have in place to determine whether there's manipulation going on in the market or not. So there's still that going on. Uh, I think the C CFTC think came out yesterday and said, I think somebody from the CFTC came out yesterday and said that it's time for the SEC to approve a, a spot ETF. It's just time. It's it, I, I might not get that exactly. Is that the same guy or is that the former SEC guy? Or were they current? The one you're talking about was that is that a current SEC employee? Um, I thought it was a CFTC employee, not an SEC employee. Oh, my bad. But mm. I could, you know, I'm old as fuck, so I could have gotten it wrong. Yeah, medium term, I'm still personally very. Uh, I think that there's probably a seventy percent probability that. BlackRock moves forward. They might have to do some things tweaking in terms of um, what the SEC wants to see, but I still think that this is a likely project. Uh, Pete Rizzo dropped a really cool thing this morning. It was a, apparently six years ago today. Do you guys remember that meeting uh, where... Janet Yellen was testifying to Congress and while she was doing it, there's this dude with this really, uh, he's got this gigantic smirk on his face and he's holding up a buy Bitcoin sign. <laughs> so the legendary, uh, buy Bitcoin photobomb happened six years ago <laughs> today, I think. That was real? That wasn't a Photoshop? No, that really happened, man. Oh, fuck. I, I, that... I, you know, this whole time I thought that was a meme that was Photoshopped. No, I'm pretty sure that that really happened. I'm, I, if, I, if memory serves, I think I saw a video of it, which is the reason why my brain's going, no, that, that's real. Either way, pretty good. Uh, additional sort of areas of conversation lately have been, you know, custody, self-custody versus institutional custody. There's a lot of Bitcoiners who feel very strongly that self-custody is the way, which, by the way, I personally happen to agree with. However, there's many individuals, especially people who are managing lots of money, who are not super super comfortable with that. And I can understand their concerns as well. So the institutional custody route, <clears throat> sort of the selling point I think that they're going to take is you can you can kind of get a, a hint. There's a guy who's Bloomberg's senior ETF analyst. He tweeted out, his name's Eric Balchunas, Balkunas maybe. He goes, keeping track of 12 words on a piece of paper is insane ask for most normal people who are busy with shit, ETFs fix this or ETF fixes this in reference to the Bitcoin ETF. You guys have any thoughts on that? Yes. They, they only, they only think that until they actually um, employ the, the 12 or 24 words and employ self-custody because once you self-custody, once you 
get familiar with that process, it's not difficult at all. The, the only difficult part is, you know, what do you do to secure the 12 words in meat space or 24 words in meat space? That's, that's the only, for me, that's the only difficult part is, okay, so it's like this iteration of things, right? I'm scared to do this. Oh, wow, this isn't scary at all. Um, this is very easy to do. It's more about familiarity than it is anything else for me. And now I'm at the point in this progression where it's I'm going, okay, my attack vector, my vulnerability is these 24 words that are in meat space. How do I secure these words in meat space? And I think um, Robert Wahoo uh, helped me come up with, he came up with a what I think is a pretty good solution. And you have a an encrypted uh, USB um, that uh, where instructions to your multi-sig um, and a variety of other things, the process, how to get the 12 words back, et cetera, um, are geographically and redundantly separated uh, amongst a couple of law firms. Uh, so there's no opportunity for collusion, but I think that is the way to, um, to do this, this kind of thing. And then your seed phrase kind of comes out of meat space it's it's not on the internet but it's encrypted as data it's it's actually really interesting and i think as the, as we go along as time moves forward people are going to become more and more comfortable with these processes and even more so bitcoiners are going to come up with solutions because that's what bitcoiners do I want to say good morning to 23 Skidoo. What's up, man? And also shout outs to Gazla and uh, Dr. Jeff. Hey, good morning. Yeah, just, just kind of turns you guys on, as you probably saw. But uh, yeah, I mean, uh, am I hallucinating? Did we all used to remember uh, phone numbers for all of our friends and family and relatives? Like 50 phone numbers memorized. I'm just, just saying, like, we're kind of capable <laughs> if we need to be. It's so hard. It's so it's hard. hard. Right. So it brings up the inverse, you know, uh, good times make for soft people. I don't know. Again, just saying soft people struggling. It's yeah. fair so, point. That, that's to funny. 23 Skidoo. I remember when speed dialing meant that you were trying to push the, the dial faster, uh, both ways, forward and backwards. Right. <laughs> so, speaking of good times making soft people imagine going to jail right now and getting that one phone call and you're like seriously i got no one i need the cell phone and they're like well sorry right i know dude it's crazy and we're all in that position because we, we we do uh we do take advantage of these technologies and it's uh freaking house of cards you know like that I had my cell phone break a couple of years ago because I do welding. I got some metal in it, so it short-circuited it, and I didn't have it backed up. But I went in to get a new phone. I guess I was at a Walmart in this case, and we had everything set up. And they said, uh, so you just you just need to receive a phone call to uh, get this all going. And I held up my phone. I'm like, are, are we... <laughs> are we on the same planet? I'm standing here because my phone doesn't work at all. I can't receive a phone call. He's like, well, there's nothing we can do until you can receive a phone call. <laughs> wow. <laughs> so I got to jump off. I got some work to do, but I'll be listening. Later, man. Later. 
Isn't it interesting though how the self custody thing comes back to physical security? You know, we were talking about the seed phrase and securing seed phrase because at the end of the day, you want to have seed phrases backed up on metal, not on paper, like this guy was saying. I mean, I suppose you could memorize them too, and memorizing them, as Skidoo mentioned, is not that hard, right? Like when I was a kid, this may sound weird if you're younger, because they took this out of the schools. They took prayer out of the schools. They took Pledge of Allegiance out of the schools. But when I was a kid, I grew up reciting the Pledge of Allegiance. And that's, I think, more than 30 words. And it's still in there. So I could use that as a seed phrase. The, I don't know if you can or not. I don't know if those words specifically are usable. Somebody's going to damn me at some point and tell me. Um, but back to the physical security thing. It, to me, that's interesting because that comes down to the whole projection of force thing. Like at the end of the day, you still have to physically secure that one seed phrase. Multi-sig makes more and more sense to me all the time. Um, and then ultimately, if you think of it from the perspective of what I think Jason Lowry has tried to get people to understand is, is that because the Bitcoin resides on the blockchain in cyberspace and is essentially those transactions once confirmed are buried under astronomical amounts of of computing power and cryptography you you can't mess with those they're protected and in a way that that there's so much energy projection there so there's so much force projection there that it it equalizes the playing field of individuals versus potentially even state attack i mean granted they can come after you in person but the asset itself is secured in a way that without your cooperation, if you if you do it carefully, there's a pretty high chance they'll never be able to get your Bitcoin. And that is revolutionary in, in the history of mankind. Individuals have never had that kind of asymmetric power projection capability. Go ahead, Dom. Yes, it's I know we talk about it a lot and it's really interesting. I, I only see that threshold, you know, I think of the physical attack vector, like levels of sophistication, right? Like if you keep your cash under your bed, your average thief, petty thief can bust in your house and grab it. You put it in a safe, you need a more advanced thief, right? That can bypass the safe. You use a Swiss vault. Now you're talking movie time where someone has to like cut your retina out or something like that. Use your eyeball. Um, with with Bitcoin, the physical attack vector, people are going to be able to set up. They'll always have access, but the level of sophistication to do a, an attack by force will be such a narrow threshold of people in the world who back can achieve that, that even your everyday person will have that higher level of security versus like someone right now, you can't, you can't get access to like a Swiss vault with like, you know, quadruple security measures because we don't have enough money for that. Um, but, but people will have access to that through Bitcoin, that level. Yeah. That's, and that's, uh, that's very reassuring in a day and age where, uh, there's a lot of really bizarre sort of nonsense going on out there at the nation state level when it comes to money. Not too many people 
I think are even tracking this or even aware of it. Like this stuff goes on. If you were to, for example, in the West, if you were to walk around any major city and ask a thousand people what the BIS is, what the IMF is, who Karstens is, who Lagarde is, do you think that they would know who those people are? No, but they know who Tom Brady is. Yeah, they do know who Tom Brady is, who, by the way, I think is probably regretting his decisions or <laughs> with FTX. But yeah, it's another thing. Don't shit coin is bad for you. Uh, I mean, that's the Kabuki theater, right? Look over here. Don't pay attention to what we're doing over there. And and I love one of my favorite one of my favorite properties um, of of Bitcoin is the fact that it's going to um, strangle the state's ability to surveil. Because currently, I forget who came up and said it, but I just think it was so brilliant. Um, the guy that came up and was talking about the the industrial surveillance uh, complex that the government has created and can do because they can just print money. They, they have unlimited uh, access to um, stolen value is what I'm going to call it instead of printing stolen value um, to be able to, um, you know, continue this this surveillance industrial complex that that they have created um, really that, that has accelerated since since the Patriot Act. I mean, you know, since 2003, this thing has just just gotten just it's ballooned and just gotten out of control. I mean, and the technology, excuse me, the law has not kept up with the technology. And, you know, you allow you allow people, um, you know, an inch and they're going to take a mile. It's just human nature. But I love that Bitcoin is going to strangle that because uh, states are no longer going to have access to this free stolen value that they create out of thin air. And they and they literally steal from every the United States, at least literally steals from every single person in the world because the U.S. dollar touches every single person in the world. All right. That's quite the allegation. We should probably unpack that a little bit. If somebody's new and they they came into this room and they're listening for the first time, they might be like, wow, that's uh, quite the allegation, Peter. Well, you wanna... the, the U.S. dollar is the world reserve currency. And as the world reserve currency, um, it touches uh, every person in the world in some way, shape or form. All countries are required to or have been until maybe just recently are required to purchase energy and commodities uh, in USD. It is the most liquid. You can't you can't get on the world market with your Colombian peso and purchase anything. Uh, no one's going to take that. They want they want USD. So um, because that is the uh, the unit of a current unit of account and the current currency that's used worldwide. Um, and so when the U.S. government decides it's going to print a trillion dollars, um, and when I say print a trillion dollars, I just mean create this value, they're literally stealing from every single person that has to touch the dollar. Now, we in America uh, don't see it as much. But what's the, what's the mechanism there? Because when, when people hear you say something like that, they're like, well, it's money. How is money stealing? From people, I don't get well, it. Well, because they devalue my dollar every time they print, they devalue the dollars that I hold. 
So I still hold some dollars. I'm 90% Bitcoin, but they don't devalue my Bitcoin. Okay, but how is that stealing? Okay, so they're making it so you can buy less things. I how get is that it part. Stealing? Like because, prices because are going up. Because they're printing yep. without, they're, they're, taking, they're taking value without doing any work. I have to work for my value. I've had to work my entire oh, life. So what you're value. telling me is they can print it and it costs them nothing, no energy, no work, no nothing. They can just make as much of it as they want. Then they can spend it at full value. And as that money flows into the economy, everybody else's money is worth less. So we get shafted and they get rich. Is that what you're saying? Pretty much. Yeah. But it's not just us. It's not just Americans. That's what people don't realize. It's it's the entire world. It's the biggest, it's the biggest uh, theft um, the world has ever seen. It's the biggest resource mining. It's the biggest um, uh, 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 movement of wealth from one part of the world, particularly south of the equator, uh, to to the to the to the few hands. And that Bitcoin is going to flip that on its head. Because the, the 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 this this wealth is now going to move uh, back to uh, those that uh, are first adopters uh, are going to be disproportionately uh, rewarded for being first adopters, and the people who are the, the vast majority of first adopters are uh, people in south of the border. There's actually south of the equator. That those are the people that are actually using Bitcoin. There's a lot of us who have purchased Bitcoin, but we're just holding it. There's people in the world that are actually using it. Dom, any thoughts here? Yeah, no, I understand the the um, it's it's. Um, that Peter makes a good point, especially on the fact that that Americans actually have the best uh, position for loss by inflation in that there are, you know, again, going back to the visit to El Salvador or different, you know, uh, nations that, that don't have as much wealth there. If you're if your money is losing value, even at a four to six percent and you don't have access to solid investment options, you have no way out. There's no way to build wealth, generational wealth, zero chance, none, big zero. Um, because if you can only afford to save a dollar or two dollars a week or a month, you're, you're handing your next generation money at a loss that has very minimal value. And so for a lot of folks, Bitcoin is the first time that they have access to, uh, you know, a robust asset and network, something that's going to maintain value, grow, play a pivotal, huge part in the world. They have access to that and they can basically start be the first generation to hand their kids something of value that will maintain its wealth. And then they can build on something after that and they can build on something after that. So that in three or four generations, you may have a chance to, you know, improve your life. That's not available with the dollar at this time. Hey, Alex, speaking of institutions and um, securing seed phrases, uh, securing Bitcoin, self-custody, and Dom, this is for you too, because I know you've been kind of, and I don't know if either of you can speak to this, but there's got to be, I mean, has Saylor come out and said how 
um, how MicroStrategy uh, deals with this in a in a governance way. I, I haven't heard it, and I don't know if it's because of OPSEC or 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 what. But I mean, there's got to be there's there are there are institutions that are holding large amounts of Bitcoin. There's got to be um, ways to do this that allows the the um, the board or the company to be able to self custody uh, the, the the Bitcoin. Yeah, to my knowledge, I haven't heard him say anything. Um, and honestly, that's not super surprising to me. Um, somebody's got to know because that's a governance issue. And the board of directors probably would have had to sign off on whatever it is they're doing there. But it doesn't surprise me that they don't talk about it. Uh, security at the institutional level, you don't always like share details with the public. And sometimes... It's been interesting to me. Sometimes the public gets very upset about that. They're like, well, we have a right to know. And it's like, well, do you? If it's, a, <clears throat> I mean, are you a shareholder? Um, you know, where, what is your access level to information? Everything's relative. In the gold industry, I can recall people getting very upset because they thought that they deserved access to information. And it's like, well, wait a minute. <clears throat> like, how much skin do you have in this game? Like, how, how much you know, gold do you have with that institution that you are demanding to see all of the audits and all of the, et cetera, right? So I'm not saying there shouldn't be transparency. Don't misunderstand me. I'm just saying humans are very funny in their demands for what they think they should know. And when it comes to security in particular, you can't just go telling everybody everything. Like, for example, when I worked in the gold industry, there are vaults in Switzerland that are very, I mean, if you're in the industry, you know where they are, but that's not advertised. People don't talk about it. You don't like, you know what I'm saying? Then people are like, well, I want to go to the vault and I want to see the gold. And it's like, well, no, you can't go to the vault. And it's like, well, that means you're hiding something. No, it means that everybody who goes to the vault adds to the security risk of the vault. Don't you understand that? Like you walk up there physically, you see where the cameras are. You physically see where the fences are. You see where the cement vehicle barriers are. You see the cupola on the building that gives which degree of field of view as you approach, you see all these things, you become the security hole. And a lot of people don't, don't understand that. Yeah. Peter to, to what you were saying too, on, on as far as like micro strategy, you know, you have regulatory stuff, but you also have the, the, the rules and bylaws that are custom to every company business organization, right? When they charter, they write, you know, like they have a list of bylaws um, or, or a charter that dictates everything. My guess is probably when first undertaking this, um, you know, Sailor had to work to get those adjusted in a way to whatever way they're holding Bitcoin, Um as you'd have to do with any institution. The thing about the spot ETF that we're always talking about is it becomes far less um, burdensome to change those bylaws with something along the lines of that, um, because it's already built in probably to many companies and corporations bylaws already. So that that's a huge thing. If you just look at the union level to change bylaws, 
you have to get all the members or in a, in, in a corporation, I'm sure, you know, uh, shareholders or a board to agree. You have to submit it through like rigorous checking, double checking. You have to get it approved usually um, by a, another entity or maybe a larger, you know, organization. So if you can avoid doing that, that's why, you know, you, you'll hear a lot of people talking about the spot ETF is such a breakthrough for institutions, because if you cannot do that, you have a vastly better chance of convincing a group that is already maybe skeptical. And I'm not talking about MicroStrategy, maybe other companies to, to come on board because it works within the structure that already exists. Not only that, the governance protocols, right? There's always, when you're, when you're essentially protecting assets of somebody else, there's fiduciary responsibilities to some degree or another which means you could be sued for lots of things. So if you fail to study something thoroughly and then those assets get lost, it could be argued that you're going to get sued over that. So any time it comes to institutional custody, anything, there's always going to be groups of people who don't want to get sued, who are going to read things, who are going to figure out how the custody actually works before putting capital at risk. Otherwise, I mean, they would literally be getting sued constantly if they're constantly making mistakes like that. And I think the problem with a lot of sort of institutions, so to speak, today is self-custody is hard enough for us. We're Bitcoiners. <laughs> and then <laughs> you, you take a bunch of guys who are like maybe going to put hundreds of millions or even billions of dollars at stake, guys and gals, like, uh, you know, do, do they... Do they be like, okay, let's roll up our cold card. We got this, guys. I don't I don't think so. I think they need to be more careful than that. I want to welcome Lisa Huff to the stage. Good morning, Lisa. How you doing? Hello, guys. Nice to hear everybody's voices. Hello, Dom. I'm doing really well. I've kind of been off social media for three weeks, and um, I missed you guys. I missed hearing these voices. Okay. Uh, curiosity now. What, what's what did you do? Uh, I was traveling in Europe. I was in uh, a couple places in Switzerland and a conference in Germany at a conference uh, in Zurich, meeting with folks talking about Bitcoin. Um, yeah, it was really, really, really interesting. I, I was saying this yesterday to somebody that they're so much further ahead than we are. All of these conversations that we have, um, they don't seem petty, right? I mean, obviously the custody aspect is, is critical. Um, but in Europe, these, uh, you know, funds and companies have already figured this out. Like they're very comfortable with this process. This isn't like a, ooh, do, 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 you know, type of a conversation. They're like, okay, yeah, let's get on with it. We're owning Bitcoin. Uh, let's get on with it. Let's create, let's create. How, how are they doing custody over there? The institutions? Um, I think, uh, various ways uh one of the firms that i met with not this trip but my last trip over there was uh, metaco m-e-t-a-c-o they're based in lausanne switzerland uh they're a software provider that's being used by a lot of banks for the uh storage of of assets and now they're broaching into um you know private key management so you know that it's already being used by i think like the top five banks in europe um, just, you know, an, another interesting, uh, way to, how does it work? How does Metaco work? Yeah. When you say key management, I mean, that's kind of like the things that we've been discussing lately when it comes to self-custody. Yeah. 
How does the key management work? So it, I am not an expert on their product, but it is a software protocol which allows you to create rules. So thereby when certain rules are met, um, you can basically unlock the private key for movement. So in some cases, those are being used with um, a hardware security module and in combination of the actual hardware device, um, like a steel box buried in a hillside in Switzerland, um, the Mitako software can talk to that um, HSM, that hardware security module, and, uh, you know, allow for the movement of private keys without any individual actually touching those keys. Yeah, interesting. Would love to know more sometime on the actual processes underlying. Uh, but yeah. yeah, I mean, they have a, a really good website. Um, you guys can look it up. It's like, like I said, it's like me, Taco, M-E-T-A-C-O. And I think like Bank Paribas is using it. Um, I don't know. I don't, I don't have the other bank names um, off the top of my head, but uh, their website's pretty robust. Do you get the feeling, uh, so... In Switzerland, did you get the feeling that uh, the country itself is is in more of a greater awareness level in terms of Bitcoin, or is this just a institutional thing or niche thing at this point? No, it's I, I think it's widely accepted. Um, it's I think it's widely accepted. I mean, I know it's widely accepted. One of the folks that I met with is the um, his name is Jacques Jacques Ifland and Jacques. Uh, is a is a really well respected attorney over there, but he led a group. Um, I forget what they call this sort of um, like standards board, uh, if you would. They put together, you know, here are the standards that institutions need to meet in order to um, sell or custody digital assets. You know, like again, they're not having the conversation like this is for people that are arms dealers and interact with Iran. They're having the conversations like we know everybody's going to hold this. What standards do we want institutions to be held to? And Switzerland is outside of the EU uh, regulatory laws. Is that correct? I have no idea. Sorry, I was just multitasking. I uh, believe Switzerland is a okay. I have a vague understanding how this works. I was over there quite a bit uh, over the last ten years, and I believe they do interact with the EU, but I don't know if they're actually an EU member. So I don't think that they're subject to EU laws. Why do you ask that? Out of curiosity, Peter. Well, because. Um, the EU is, <clears throat> I don't know that the EU is really any more friendly to Bitcoin than any other centralized statist kind of entity. So uh, I just, it's, it just seems curious to me. I mean, we hear news all the time uh, of, of regulations coming out of the EU in regards to, you know, self-custing of wallets. Uh, they want, you know, this, the, the, the agent, the governmental agencies want access to uh, wallets and seed phrases. And, and there's just a lot of, there's just a lot of, maybe it's misinformation. I don't know. There's just, there's just, 
seems to be a lot of of push in the EU to make self custody of Bitcoin um, a much more difficult um, endeavor. Yeah. Okay. So clarification. I um, I guess my daughter is listening to us, and she texted me. No, it's not part of uh, the EU. It's not. Uh, bound by their regulations. And, and she also reminded me that the town that we were in, um, Neuchatel, is actually the first town in Switzerland where you can get paid in Bitcoin and you can have a Bitcoin bank account. So, like I said, really? like they're just so much further ahead. There's, there no, there aren't these crazy you're an Iran arms dealer if you hold Bitcoin conversations. Well, I think the reason why that's coming up maybe because Switzerland has been well known for its neutrality for a long time, you know, almost a thousand years ish. Well, definitely. Um, and also, I mean, they're they're part of the commodities trading development. Um, you know, I mean, they that when commodity trading really started to become a thing um, when when there was speculative trading that came into the market uh, in big size, like Mark Rich, I mean, all of those entities set up in Switzerland because they were the most regulatory friendly. And that was like back in the 60s or 70s, um, back when, you know, Philip Brothers, actually, that, I mean, that all started in the 30s and 40s. But um, it, it's no surprise to me that they're ahead of us in Bitcoin. They've been ahead of us in every other market that's become a commonplace, you know, free and open market, uh, basically for the last hundred years. Yeah. I, I don't think that's where the, where the, um, confusion is though. Uh, it's, it's not a matter of being ahead. It's more a matter of where do they stand from, a. okay. I'll give you an example of what I mean. What I was getting at originally was, is that, uh, Switzerland has been neutral. It remained neutral through multiple world wars. Uh, and has largely stayed out of geopolitical affairs. They've been known as the bank of the world for a long time. They have they had a very long history of private banking, of private property, um, sort of uh, protections and laws that were in place to respect private property. And they had bank secrecy laws were the opposite of the U.S. bank secrecy laws. The U.S. bank secrecy stuff is like, we need to know all this stuff about you guys. But over there, it's the opposite for a long time. It was like, uh, the law is that we protect the privacy and the identities of bank clients. And in the last 20 years, that sort of uh, protection was breached by the United States government, essentially forced some of the banks over there to comply and hand over the records of a bunch of United States citizens. Well, a lot of, and so I think this has kind of created this atmosphere of people not understanding Switzerland. Like you guys say that you are neutral and you are for protection of private property and all this stuff. And then you, you allow this other thing to happen. So it's, I think it's caused a bit of confusion, but, uh, they're very smart people, I will tell you that. And it doesn't also doesn't surprise me that they're they're starting to embrace this. It's really interesting to me. Alex, would you say that that is an example of force projection? 
Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. There's no doubt about it. I mean, there's a reason why a substantial amount of the world's gold was has been vaulted in Switzerland for hundreds and hundreds of years. It's strategically a very defensible place. It's surrounded by mountains. Basically, it's like a bowl surrounded by mountains. And all of those, <clears throat> excuse me, all those mountains become defensive features. It's probably one of the most it's probably one of the most strategically good places to try to defend in the world because the whole, like the whole environment helps you over there. No, no, no. I meant Alex, um, I'm sorry. I meant, do you think that the, that the U S being able to force the Swiss to um, change their laws, to do what they were doing recently, do you think that is an example of force projection? It, well, in a way it's more an example of it is, but, but, you got to understand it's not, it wasn't force projection specifically against Switzerland or the geography of Switzerland. It was more, okay, here was the thing. You had several very, very large Swiss banks. Um, I want to say Credit Suisse and the other one, name escapes me right now, maybe one more, but they, um, they made the mistake of having a tremendous amount of their assets on their capital balance sheet subject to United States jurisdictional control. They literally had buildings, they had United States equities, they had all this stuff on their balance sheet that basically the U.S. did have control over. So it kind of violated the entire Swiss paradigm. The whole Swiss paradigm is you put it here in Switzerland, we use the porcupine defense thing, we make it so costly for you to try to physically come in here. Nobody in their right mind is going to try to do that. You you know, Hitler just didn't try to invade Switzerland. They're like, yeah, it's, it's, mathematically, this does not make sense. The cost is not going to be worth it, right? And that really is the force projection, the force, the, the calculus of warfare. You know, there's this, a lot of Bitcoiners like to talk about the, what do they call it, the the logic of war, the logic of violence. And there, it cracks me up because these people have never been in a violent event in their entire freaking life. But they, they talk about it like they, like they understand this and they don't, they don't, they're, they're pontificating and they're, they're LARPing about this stuff. There is a calculus in war and it's a math equation. It has to do with force projection and money and resources. Basically, what are you going to get based upon what are you going to spend is really what it comes down to. I don't you know, know if that makes, answered that question, but yeah. You know, it makes sense too that that Switzerland now now that I think about it, it makes sense that Switzerland would be um, more accepting of Bitcoin sooner. They they can see the writing on the wall because they want to be um, part of the um, they want to be the center. That right now they're this they're this they're this center of security for physical commodities. It would make sense that they would want to be. Um, the center for security of uh, data. Um, and that's what, you know, if we turn this back to Bitcoin, Bitcoin kind of solves this entire, this entire equation, right? Um, this entire idea of having to physically um, protect something and all of that value that you talked about, you know, that they have in, uh, in, in assets that are under control of U.S. jurisdiction, uh, the premium of those assets, um, so in other words, anything but their utility value, eventually goes to Bitcoin um, because of exactly what you're talking about, the ability to self-custody it and the, abil the inability 
of entities to be able to uh, access that value. Yeah, that's a very interesting thing that people have to think about that we haven't had to think about for a long time, basically, because if the bank is holding our value for us, then that's the way we're used to it. Good morning, BJ. What's up? Good morning, everybody. Um, yeah, something else that's interesting. The uh, shit coiners are coming. And before everybody gets all upset, uh, very interesting. I've had a number of them uh, reach out to me, and I joined the space yesterday, and it's amazing. There's all these, uh, I mean, not people who are running projects and scams and stuff, but like younger people in the space, they don't even know what Bitcoin is. It's amazing. Like, they have no clue. And there are some of them that are very, very pro-Bitcoin. I guess kind of the older developer type guys who've reached out to me, and they're like, can you come into our space? Can you talk to some of these people and talk about what you guys went through in Canada? Because we're trying to explain to them um, about Bitcoin. And it's amazing how many of them were complaining about being rugged by all these different projects and Sam Brinkman Freed and all that sort of crap. So even they are now starting to learn. I think there's a little bit of an opportunity there. So I've been trying to be not adversarial towards them and try to slowly... Uh, these, these two rooms I've gone into uh, seem to be working to coach them into Bitcoin and understanding what, you know, strong fiscal policy is versus the crap that they were scammed to buying into. And some of these some of these kids are 17 years old, 16 years old, 18 years old. They don't know. You know, they were given a promise or, you know, you're going to build a life for yourself. They were told that, oh, yeah, this is a store of value. I can't remember what shitcoin one of them told me. But uh, they said, yeah, it was, I was told it was a way to store my, uh, store my, save my money. And I'm like, no, no, that's what Bitcoin is. And they, the, the last guy yesterday was hosting. Uh, the two of us went back and forth for 30, 40 minutes just talking about what Bitcoin is. That is completely different. And then all these, as I call them, centralized crypto projects. And I couldn't believe how quickly that entire room, which I don't know, was 700 people, something like that. That entire room, all of a sudden, started showing interest in uh, in Bitcoin. So I think we're going to be able to bring them over as well, um, irrespective of their baggage around, you know, crypto. They're young. They're kids. They're looking for, for new things, right? But if we can at least get them on board with understanding the importance of saving your wealth and what real, mon real hard money is in Bitcoin, uh, I think that's good for the space. What do you guys think? Somebody want to yell at me for that? No, man, that's fantastic. Well done. That's great, uh, great intel. I just don't want people to think I'm a shitcoiner. I'm not. Uh, I'll, I'll admit, like everybody else, I had gone down the rabbit hole a few years ago. Just learning, you know, you, you get bought into, you buy into the whole uh, unit bias and whatever. And I didn't really lose much money, but I realized, okay, this is, just, this is all scam shit. This is not for me. And I'm not a trader and whatever. Uh, but that allowed me to talk to them. So I said, yeah, I know what liquidity pools. I've used Binance Smart Chain. Like, I understand it. And great. You want to do that? That's fine. I'm not going to, you know, yell at you for throwing your money away, in my opinion. You do what you do you. But we have to agree on Bitcoin is the base layer, and we're fighting against this fiat bullshit system. And they were all on board. It was amazing. It, it was, I think we're going to be able to do more of that. Hey, BJ, I love the PTSD, dude, of the, uh, you see how he dropped that? Just PTSD from one 
alt alt room of the hey are you guys gonna yell at me now it's just hey, you're safe dude you're home you're safe bj <laughs> you're safe dude safe place we got some blankies and crayons for you here in this back room oh. if you need them Sorry about that. I also talked about, um, you know, Bitcoin Maxis came up and I brought up, uh, I brought up Foss's name, actually. And I said, like, for example, Foss and people like that, they just don't want you to get screwed. You know why? Because they spent their entire career in the fiat financial system getting screwed. And they know what it's like. They've been through that. And they're trying to warn all of you to protect you. Because they don't want you to suffer what some of them had suffered uh, in the Fiat Ponzi scheme. So, uh, and th they were really receptive to that. And they said, yeah, you know, some of the people in Bitcoin, uh, I said to them, you guys are all young. You're all teenagers in your 20s and whatever. Uh, some of these guys are much older. They're your, your, your parents, sometimes even your grandparents' age. But they've, they've put in the time in the Fiat system, and there's a lot you can learn from them. And that's why they keep talking about Bitcoin. Because they know that is your future. So you should listen to them. And I got a lot of hearts and likes when I was talking about that. So I'll do my best to keep continuing to bring them over. That's awesome. I feel like, you, do you guys remember when the word boomer came out? When people started using the word boomer? And immediately when I first hear, started hearing hearing that, it was obviously the younger kids that were using it. And they were using it in a derogatory way, talking about boomers. And I thought to myself, that's a psyop. I thought that is designed to get kids to not want to take advice and instruction and wisdom from their elders. It's designed to make them not respect the el their elders so we can set them up and corral them and slaughter them. Like that's what went through my brain. I mean, that's a little extreme. I get it. Like, from an adversarial point of view, I immediately thought, yeah, that's that's been planted there on purpose. Here's the thing. Just because somebody's older, there's not, like, some general rule that all of a sudden they become dumb or they're, they're like, ignorant or they're easily fooled. On the contrary, there are some people who are older who they have so much wisdom and so much if you have the discernment here's the trick there are plenty of people who are older who are also idiots there are plenty of people who are older who are not lifelong students there are, there are <laughs> i saw this really funny video you know like the the Tuttle twins are teaching these little kids you know somewhere between 8 and 12 years old all about economics and then they did this comparison where they're asking all these little kids about inflation versus the kids at college. And the little kids like are able to explain it. And the kids at college have no idea. They don't, they don't get it. Right. It's a discernment thing. There are older people who don't know crap, but there are, are also older people who are full of wisdom and you, it's your job. You have to have the discernment to, 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 to tell who those people are. You don't just blanket like all boomers are 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 don't get it. That's not the way it works, guys. Yeah, the the uh, what they do know, what a lot of young people don't know, including when I was young, regardless of generation, is history, facts, and they know it not just from reading a book. They know it from living through it. And so you know, 
everyone knows when you're young, you're like, hey, old timer, you don't know what's going on right now. You're not hip with what's happening. And they're like, dude, you know how many times I've seen this thing you're talking about? Like, come on. And you go, oh, they're just negative and senile or or like not senile. That's that's a hard one. But you know what I'm saying? They're, they're just dismissed stuff and they don't get it. And from their perspective, they're like, I've seen this five times what you're talking about, this trend. It just took a different form back in the day. So like uh, it's that that gap is always interesting. You, you know, I can hear you guys, right? We weren't talking about you, man. Just in general, you know, guys like well, <clears throat> BJ brought up Foss. Like I think of, I think of guys like Foss and Larry Lapard, and um, just just guys who've been around for a little while, you know, and and they're just full of of wisdom. Foss is hip though, dude. I saw that pic on uh, Sailor's yacht. You know, RFK had socks on. Foss was barefoot, dude. Like, very free, very hip, very in touch with, you know what I mean? Like, next level. Foss is not your average uh, boomer generation. And and that's not to say that that, that younger people um, don't also bring incredible amounts of information and intelligence to the table, because they do. Yeah, new perspectives. You got like guys like Burak who are in college who are who are really thinking about how we're going to uh, take things like lightning to the very to the masses, essentially. And it's got to happen. And we need these guys too, for sure. Yeah, something else on the topic, man, is uh, you know when we were freezing our ass off in Ottawa, uh, the, the government wouldn't or the the fake news media wouldn't want to report on the massive numbers of native and indigenous people that participated in our protests because you know rural can rural canadian truckers a lot of them are native and what was re really interesting is every sunday i'd go on stage and i'd give a speech with some of the other organizers and we would always have some of the uh clansmen uh coming to uh do you know a ritual ceremony for the native tribes that were there and I had met with some of them privately behind the scenes. And I'll tell you one thing. I give that that community one thing, one solid prop. They do respect their elders. Their elders are the ones that everybody goes to for wisdom uh, and for experience. Doesn't mean they're always right, but everybody uh, gives them the respect that they deserve to at least hear them out. And often that sways uh, what people think. And I think that's something we've lost. And I think maybe it's intentional. Look. Now, not to get political, but look what you have as a, as a president of the United States. What does that do for the image that younger people have of elderly people? Like, oh, wow. I never thought about that. That is a damn good point. So if we want to respect our elders. We need to prop up people who do have wisdom. And there's a lot of people like that. Like Thomas Sowell always comes to mind. Somebody who's in their 90s and is smarter than I've ever been in my life and will ever be, right? So there are many examples that we could go to, but it always seems to be that the establishment is propping up people who are older that are in some way incompetent or even incontinent, unfortunately. God, reminds me of Logan's run. If, if you know, you know. Hey, Alex, uh, not to change topics, but I see Joe and Faust in there. I had one item that I saw the other day, kind of a macro item that was interesting. But it's Tuesday. I don't want to jam up the wavelengths. We're on a good vibe right now. 
now let's do it uh, i'm throwing out invites to both foss and joe if you guys feel like coming up sometimes they can't like jeff jeff um jeff ross this morning he was out here in the audience listening he was on a plane he's dm me he's like i can't no no bandwidth no upstream bandwidth but yeah a lot of a lot of these guys do like to just chill and listen as well <clears throat> all right we're gonna hit some uh stats here uh we're at the top of the hour you are listening to Cafe Bitcoin. This is episode 387. Shout out to our folks on Fountain. Um, also, the folks that listen to us on Noster Nest. Appreciate all you guys. My boy Ant, Battle Ant, is not here today. A lot of our regulars are, for whatever reason, fiat mining um, type obligations. But um, So I'll hit the stats. The Bitcoin impenetrable freedom force field level is at 401.6 exahash estimated uh over a one week period of time fastest fee is coming in at seven sats per v byte <clears throat> excuse me we got two hundred twenty one thousand ish unconfirmed transactions in the mempool 290 days estimated until the next having seven seven sats per v byte what i i thought mm -hmm. i broke bitcoin i thought this the fees were just going to be astronomical for the next thousand years yeah doesn't look like it so what's curious to me is, is that the mempool is still staying at about two hundred twenty thousand ish oh it's back up fastest sat right now is 13 sats per v but um but i wonder how many of those transactions are basically sitting in there at like one cent per v byte or something like that just waiting <laughs> interesting just sitting in purgatory basically and maybe people care, maybe they don't. I don't know. That discussion we had yesterday about uh, about whether those could get prioritized or not was really good. If you missed that, check out check out the uh, the podcast. We had Stefan Levera going in depth on that. <clears throat> if you want to know more about it, there's over sixty eight thousand lighting channels right now. You can buy three thousand two hundred eighty five sats for every dirty fiat dollar. Bitcoin is up over eighty percent year to date which is interesting compared to all other assets. If you go out there and look and 92.50% of the total supply of Bitcoin that will ever be mined in the history of mankind has already been mined. You might want to get some just in case. Good morning, Joe. Carl, sorry. How you doing, man? Yeah. Good morning, everyone. Hope everyone's having a good start to the week. Doing good. Um, what was it that you macro thing that you wanted to ask now that we got joe up here yeah so i just saw the other day i know we've been talking a lot and joe does a great job of pointing out the realities of the american economy the fact the strength of it right to to combat the narrative that we're seconds away from a recession uh the unemployment numbers are always interesting because um despite the rate hikes they remain low um and I just I just found an interesting item with uh, California has a tax funded unemployment insurance fund. And for those listening, the way that works is basically when there's unemployment, people file for unemployment and they get assistance. Um, and this fund naturally, as you would expect during recessions and pandemics, et cetera, uh, starts to get inverted in that they're paying out more than they're taking in. Well, I saw an interesting article just that, you know, following 2020, um, despite the, the increase in employment, 
that this fund is now um, structurally insolvent in that um, it, it is, uh, you know, still in the negative and it's not able to catch up. Now, that could just be due to the significance of COVID, um, but they were pointing out that historically, when you've had employment numbers tick up, that this is balanced out very quickly. So now, you know, this unemployment debt continues to climb in the face of what looks like on paper, um, you know, a very healthy labor market. Yeah, no, I mean, it's a great point. And, and it's, uh, I think uh, it, 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 it shows you an example of the problems we're going to face across not just the United States, but globally, right? Because of um, the silver tsunami of aging population, which are going to be drawing on benefits, and they're going to uh, be demand, you know, they build up huge nest eggs, and they love spending money on leisure and vacations and dining out and uh and in that environment right you see sort of the the real effects right now i mean look at the the adp report you just talked uh, you're just talking about the jobs number we had a blowout adp report nearly five thousand five hundred thousand private sector jobs created um and of the five hundred thousand that were created uh ne nearly half of them were created in leisure and hospitality right so you've got a whole you've got a sort of an imbalance a supply demand imbalance in the economy you're seeing right now whereby people have built up huge nest eggs uh, that have, they have uh, made unbelievable amounts of money, uh, particularly the older demographics that they've sat on. Um, and now they can spend, you know, freely. And there seems to be an unquenchable thirst for leisure and hospitality and, and, uh, and entertainment and vacations all probably pent up from the pandemic and so forth. Um, so you've got really that dynamic at play. But at the same time, you've got sections of the economy like manufacturing and some of the higher end tech which are really struggling, they're beginning to see um, uh, layoffs rise. You know, so you've got sort of a tale of two economies right here, depending on where you sit. It, it isn't as broad spread. That's why people are describing like the recession is a rolling recession, right? It's not hitting everything at once where everybody's laid off. It's hitting different demographics, different sectors in different ways, which I think has, has uh, uh, basically resulted in some of the frustration and confusion among the, the perma bear crowd because they are still playing the playbook from 2008 or prior crises when this economy is constructed, uh, particularly due to some of the effects of COVID and the government stimulus, in, in, a, in a different way. Um, we, we have different segments that are more vulnerable, uh, which is true in every recession. But I think the, the, build, the tremendous buildup of cash and, cash and appreciation of asset prices um, is, is playing into that. And by the way, to your point, which I think is the larger issue, right, is that, you know, for the Fed, fair and orderly markets, as they describe within their mandate, um, that requires asset prices to rise, right? They need asset prices to rise because of this retirement math, which does not make sense uh, unless you get eight or seven percent return on stocks and bonds in a balanced 60-40 portfolio. If you don't get that, you have chronic shortfalls across the board. So, they can, you know, I've always described what's been going on for the last two years as sort of like a controlled demolition that, you know, they, they want yields to go higher because they want to bring it down slowly, but they don't want it to tank. Right. In which they've shown this time and time again that they're willing to intervene or do whatever is necessary when it gets pushed to the mat. But they're not necessarily, uh, you know, encouraging higher prices. They're, they're encouraging the crab market. Um, you know, if you're familiar, uh, the crab market that Dr. Jeff talks about. They're, they're selling calls, right? They're trying to put a ceiling on asset prices, but also trying to maintain the floor, which is why we're, we're, we're in the range we've been. And it seems like nothing's moving. Yeah, it's interesting, you know, just looking at 
again, I'm not, I'm not like, uh, you know, a lot of people will say, Hey, the, the books are cooked or these employment numbers are false. I don't believe in that, but there it's interesting just seeing where things don't add up. And like you were saying, no, no recession is the same. I think that's a, a natural fallacy as we look to the last one and go, if it's not doing this, then we're not there. There's just some interesting thing happening. And yeah, well, and, and to your point about the books being cooked, right? This was ADP, right? So it's private payroll company, private payroll data. Um, you know, that, that is uh, outside of the, the BLS's uh, ability to fudge with the numbers. So that was why it was particularly, uh, you know, confusing the markets. Like how, how, did, how did you get such a massive print in hospitality and, and leisure? And I think the answer is there's still a ton of cash out there from people willing to spend it. And, and the, the bigger question is like, you know, when will it come to an end? And it, as long as asset prices remain in this range and the bottom's not falling out, I think you're in for a very long time. And that's why Nick Timoros, you know, the wiki, uh, the, uh, the, the, Fed, the Fed leaks guy, uh, uh, Nicky leaks, as they call him, um, you know, that's why he's talking about, you know, potentially now 6% Fed funds, you know? So anyway, I got to jump, guys. Good talking to you. Thanks for Thanks, stopping Joe. me, man. All right, as I mentioned a little while ago, we've got Muzz coming to join us in the second hour here to talk to us about Lightning Ventures and what he's been working on. Shout out to him in the audience. Uh, you're welcome to come up and join us anytime. No obligation to do so. Uh, we have him scheduled for like the last 30 minutes or so. In the interim, uh, a couple of quick announcements while we got to pause for a second here. If you're listening to Cafe Bitcoin, the place for your morning news, prefer to hang out with some of the smartest minds in the industry, also a podcast on Fountain, Spotify, and Apple. Uh, you can throw me or the blues at Swan handle a follow to be notified of when those drop. We've got Pacific Bitcoin coming up in October. That's going to be October 5th and 6th in Santa Monica, California. That's going to be a great time. It'll be a time of... Uh, getting everybody together in person. You'll get to meet some of your favorite Bitcoiners. A great time to recharge for some people and just kind of celebrate. It's just generally a lot of fun. You'll walk away. Um, I mean, you you won't need any drugs or any alcohol or anything for at least three months is is how I look at it. Like, yeah, it, it feels pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> if you want to, and if you want to meet Bitcoiners, man, that's a really great way to go. Some people say, well, I don't want to go to something like that. Cause I don't know anybody. I promise you go get a ticket, go. You will meet so many new friends that you will have as friends moving forward into the future. And you'll have your own little Bitcoiner community. It happens every single time. Yeah. And, and uh, just to add to that, Alex, if you're building, if you're in the audience and you're building in the space or you're thinking about building or you're been learning and you have these ideas like, oh, I could do this. I mean, this is a place you will leave this conference um, uh, like with a ton of working relationships on building and, and like you'll have ideas that you haven't had. So, again, like it's a it's a really high signal uh, group. That, that is in the area at the conference at this time. Yeah, for sure. That's a, the, a great point. If you're at the place in your life where you want to look more into how you can do something in Bitcoin for Bitcoin on the mission, helping adoption, helping education, helping in any way, going to something like this is very can be very pivotal because the people that you meet who can help you make these things happen are going to be there. And it's a... Uh, 
as a worthwhile thing to do. Either Lisa or Peter or Skidoo, do any of you guys have some thoughts on Pacific? What was your experience, if you want to share? I heard my name, but I was distracted. Are we talking about Pacific Bitcoin? Yeah, we were just kind of looking for opinions on experiences or any fun stories or anything from the last one. Well, I love it because I feel like, I don't know, I feel like I'm an introvert. And so I don't naturally love to be surrounded by 35,000 people. And you're also, I don't know, I go to those huge conference. I don't go to those huge conferences anymore. But at, at Pacific Bitcoin, it's like everybody that you meet is your friend immediately. I think that's the main takeaway. It's like, if you're a Bitcoiner, they're a Bitcoiner, you already have a clear value alignment. Everything else in your life may be different, but you probably value a lot of the same things and they're very easy to talk mm. to. And what I love about it is like having people tell me what they're working on. Like last year, a guy told me that he was working on, um, and this is not confidential, uh, he was working on water heaters heated by Bitcoin which, okay, you know, we've heard that. That's interesting. But his parallel was that in some communities, solar is solar panels are free. Um, you can have them installed on your house for free. The power that goes back to the grid um, basically is owned by the grid operator. But he's talking about doing the same thing with water heaters, basically having a free water heater available at Home Depot. Home Depot will come install it. Um, but the water heater mines Bitcoin and the Bitcoin then belongs to his corporate entity so who knows if that ever takes place but like just hearing what people are working on hearing the ideas that people are batting about and thinking about and um and there were kids last year at pacific bitcoin which i thought was really cool i think stefan Levera had his kids and i think preston maybe had kids there i don't know it's great it's just a great atmosphere for for those that that um populate Bitcoin Twitter spaces like this one or or just many of them, the Council of Autism, uh, Pubby's space that, you know, uh, toxic Bitcoin happy hour. You I recognize these voices and it's really crazy when you like recognize a voice and you turn your head and you're like, I know that voice. That's and then you go and meet the person. And it's just it's the vibe is kind of like um your first high school reunion, the 20 year one, if you didn't go to any of the other ones, because you kind of know these people, you know, these names, it kind of transports you back in time. And it's just, you can walk up to anybody and have a conversation like Lisa was saying. And then also, you know, people like Lisa, she looks exactly like she looks in her profile pic because that's her profile pic but it's also really cool because you can there's a lot of people you'll recognize just because you've seen their profile pics and so it's it's a really great experience it's nice um i'm also uh, somewhat introverted and uh, don't particularly like those kinds of situations but i immediately felt comfortable and i haven't been to any other conference to be honest with you but from what I understand, this one, the sizing of it in comparison to the space that that we're in, uh, that I was in there, it was 
large enough so that there was no problem freely moving about and having space if you needed it in a spot in a corner or whatever if you wanted to be alone but at the same time you were close enough to everybody to be able to to interact and you can literally i mean i literally would walk up to three or four people having a conversation and i would stand there for about 10 seconds before somebody would say hey i'm so and so who are you and then you would just drop into that conversation. It was really cool. Yeah, I actually haven't been to any uh, any events at all. Um, I was in my local meetup. So I'm, I'm thinking about the Bitcoin, uh, specific Bitcoin. That's the one that's most appealing in its focus because I'm in New Mexico. Uh, but yeah, I don't know. I'm excited to do it and still not 100% excited either. So I'm not sure. Okay. <laughs> Thanks for chiming in there, Skidoo. That was helpful. <laughs> Back yeah. to Lisa's point, though. <laughs> Let me ask you a question, though. Is there any kind of, um, other than talking here on the spaces, which is a potential, is there any way to, is there any resource to, uh, like a list or a discussion page where people are saying, hey, anybody want to share a room or, you know, something like that? Yeah, I think I'm pretty sure there's a Telegram group for this. Let uh, DM me and I'll get you the info. There you go. But to, awesome. uh, to Lisa's point um, about the whole, you can just, yeah, there's a feeling where you can just walk up and start talking to somebody. Here's here. When I was heard her say that, this is what I thought of. Uh, that at, the difference between Pacific Bitcoin is, is that and something like Bitcoin 2023, which was huge. I don't know how many tens of thousands of people or whatever the number was. It was a lot of people. This is that at Bitcoin 2023, if you go up to somebody, you don't know who they are. They could be a shitcoiner. They could be a shitcoin promoter. They could be a whatever. They could be someone who has Bitcoin, thinks they're a Bitcoiner, but they also own like 10 other coins. Like they're just trying to figure the industry out, right? Whereas at Bitcoin, at Pacific Bitcoin, there are no shitcoin anything. There's no shitcoin sponsors. There's no shitcoin speakers. There's no shitcoin promoters. There's no shitcoin vendors. There's none of that. And although everybody is welcome, anybody can come to that thing, you're almost guaranteed to run into Bitcoiners at this event versus someplace else. So that might be part of it. Anyway, we've talked about that enough. This wasn't meant to be a big infomercial. Just sharing experiences, like genuinely from our hearts about why it's good to do something like that. So, All right. Let's uh, talk a little bit about uh, shining light on things that lizards are excited about. <laughs> so there's this really uh, interesting new video. I'm going to grab it here while we're talking. Um, and this is Augustus Karstens, who is basically the head of the Bank of International Settlements. And this is a short clip with this gentleman. Uh, for example, example, who is using a $100 bill today? We don't know who is using a 1,000 peso bill today. Uh, a key difference in, with the CBDC is that central bank will have absolute control on the rules and regulations that will determine the use of that uh, expression of central bank. Okay, did you guys hear that? Yep. We have control. 
We have control. It's fucking uh, 2112 Rush. Yeah, it's very creepy. It's very creepy stuff. Um, and this is something that people need to take seriously because this is now that that these types of things, Bitcoin has woken these folks up. Like in the very beginning, if you guys rewind the clock and you remember back, none of these central bankers took Bitcoin seriously at all. They were like, meh. And then you started seeing U.S. dollar stable coins and you started seeing billions and billions of dollars crossing borders in the form of U.S. dollar stable coins, which really caught their attention. And now they have to pay attention to it. They have to talk about it. They're talking about it constantly because they're trying to figure out, okay, well, how do we retain power over this thing? If you look at what the IMF, what the BIS are, are basically saying is, is that if if we don't get control of this, and I'm paraphrasing it, but if we don't get control of this, this is really dangerous. They say to financial stability, which of course is always the reason for their existence. It's to protect you guys. We're here to protect you guys. We're here for you. <laughs> Similar messages, right? That, that clip reminded me, remember the Pfizer one where the guy's like, um, you take the tablet, it sends a signal. And then the, then the tablet confirms that you took the tablet and it's, it's, uh, it's to help people, you know, confirm that they took their meds always with the, uh, uh help the world first message on, on this type of like, uh, surveillance control verification. You know, what blows my mind about this kind of stuff is that there are some people out there who, who they take that message and they're like, this is awesome. These people are going to protect us. They're going to save us from everybody and all the bad things, all the boogie people, all the boogie monsters under the bed and in the closet. They're going to protect us. And to me, it's kind of like, it's like a bunch of sheep who are like, okay, look, we need these fences. Someone must erect fences to keep the wolves from getting at us and getting to us, right? But here's the problem. The wolves are the ones erecting the fences, they're making the fences and they're licking their chops. They're like, oh, we got you. And yeah, the, the sheep don't recognize that. And it blows my mind. I have a comic strip that was my favorite from long ago. Actually, my jujitsu teacher in the 80s used to have it up on his wall. And it was a picture of some, like, animal liberation front uh, breaking into a humane society or a testing lab and opening, you know, 60 cages that all the cats and dogs and pigs are in the cages saying, please, close the door. I feel safe in here. <laughs> so according to a new survey by the Bank of International Settlements, 93% of the world's central banks are engaged in developing and deploying some form of central bank digital currency. And very few people are aware of it. Very few people have thoughts about it. Very few people study it or pay attention to it. Go ahead, Peter. There is an entire generation now that has grown up and has known nothing but a world that has been under the Patriot Act. And unfortunately, um, these people are, they, they, they've, been, they've been desensitized to the idea of freedom. And I think that's where a lot of it comes from is this, I'm going to say it again. I wish I could remember the guy's name that said it, but this, 
this surveillance, industrial surveillance complex that has been created by our government, uh, by the United States government that spies on its own people, um, it has really created a, a, a monster. And, and, you know, I think there's a lot of people that just don't understand what freedom actually looks like. Yeah, it's true. Like phones, like everybody's grown up with smartphones now and they spy on you. Believe it or not, this is not, this is not conspiracy. This is not me making this up. The phone listens to you all the time. If you haven't figured that out yet, I don't know what to tell you. Not, not only does it spy on you, but, okay, but, Alex, but we, sorry, we freely give our, exactly oh, sorry, right. Lisa, sorry to hop in, but I was having this conversation again this morning with my daughter because while I was gone, I spent a lot of time on my iPhone turning shit off, right? Like turning off all these location tracking, all this kind of crap. Well, I get home. Today's the first day that I've driven a car and I get in my car, plug in my phone and it tells me that I can't plug into CarPlay because I have Siri turned off on my phone because I turned Siri off because I think she's nosy. So I'm like, you've got to be joking. In order for me to get my maps to work in my car because it's activated through CarPlay, I have to have Siri on so that she can spy on me all the time. It's fucking ridiculous. Yeah, it's very creepy. And to Peter's point, like a lot of us grew up in a world where we didn't have smartphones. So being spied on constantly wasn't normal. It wasn't a normal thing. And nowadays, to Peter's point, like there's entire generations of humans growing up where surveillance is normal. And that's very bizarre and weird. All for your safety and health and well-being. Well, it's bizarre and weird, and I don't even think most people know that it's happening, right? Like, I didn't, I mean, I, I don't know. I, I don't think I was really paying attention until, like, probably heard Matt O'Dell talk or um, Janine, the woman at CASA that writes a lot about privacy. Like, once you hear them, I'm like, okay, call me a conspiracy theorist. Maybe I am because, I mean, they're right. It, like we are being spied on and actively surveilled and people are listening to everything we say. It's just, it's awful. Okay. So the fact that the, um, the surveillance industrial complex exists to Peter's point or whoever it was that brought that up, um, I think is, has been signaling to, to the lizards that this is now okay. Like around the world, Hey, lizards pay attention. Let's, let's get after this. Right. So you have these CBDCs, 93% of central banks are now in process of building these things. They think about this a certain way, almost, well, for every single one I've ever seen comment on it, the comments have been somewhat similar, right? You've got just recently Bank of England governor, Andrew Bailey is chiming in on this. He goes, Bitcoin is highly volatile and has no intrinsic value. By the way, anyone who's trying to make an argument based upon intrinsic value is scamming you. I'm just going to throw that out there. We can dig into that. We've done it many times on this show, but intrinsic value has been debunked many times. It's a bullshit argument. And they're assuming you don't understand that. And for most people, most people don't understand it. It's the reason why that argument works because it sounds like it, it, it's true, but it's not. Anyway, he goes, Bitcoin is highly volatile, has no intrinsic value. It's best treated as extremely speculative investment. So he's at a speech that he's delivered delivering, excuse me, at the financial professional services dinner in London. Uh, he basically says that Bitcoin 
the standards necessary to recognize as legitimate forms of money just aren't there. However, he proposed an alternative concept. Get this. You ready? Enhanced digital money. Of course, issued by them. <laughs> well, that's the intrinsic uh, value, Alex. The intrinsic well, Alex, value, I, I according mean, I was to... I at a data. conference a few months ago in Switzerland, and it was like this super, I mean, air quote, well-respected, um, I forget what the organization called themselves, but they had these experts, again, air quote experts, talking about CBDCs. And I went up to the woman that gave the keynote address on CBDCs, and I said to her, you know, does this concern you that, like, through a CBDC, basically, if you eat too many brownies, you know, they're going to cut you off from your money? And the woman looked at me and was like, they, and she, this is literally what she said. They'd never do that. I'm like, are, oh are my you gosh. And, and I actually, I was attending this with a, um, a company that I've done some consulting work with. I was their guest. And so it's a group of, you know, very well educated bankers. And like these guys just all completely swallowed the narrative that, wow, look at these CBDCs. And, and, and further in her presentation, she was explaining how technically this would work and how CBDs is so much better for people because they have the ability to get money to more people because every, she said, because most people have a cell phone and statistically, I forget what her number was, but it was like statistically 70% of people around the world have cell phones and then therefore money can be available to these 70% of people. And then for the 30% that don't, well, they have a friend that has a cell phone and so their friend can keep their CBDCs. And again, like this whole crowd of people just absorbed the information like that was okay. It's like, are you kidding? You, you, you're yeah. gonna keep money away from 30% of people? Like you, you, this new revolutionary technology, this is It's, it's literally like the analogy I was saying before. It's like the sheep are inside and, and the walls are being, the fences are being constructed around them by the wolves and they're applauding it. They're like, yay, this is awesome. And the wolves the entire time are just licking their chops, man. They're like, oh, this is going to be so good. Lizard wolves, so I guess. Got, so I've got yeah, unequivocal sheep dogs, proof. Alex, like you, calling this bullshit out. So I've got un unequivocal proof that Bitcoin is used for money Doing the laundering. Good work. Uh, United States federal government politicians decided that they are accepting Bitcoin for campaigns. I mean, it's proof right there. So, just something very funny. BJ. Yeah, so, but you know, but you know what's funny? The day I heard that on the news, NPR, I was sitting in my metal shop doing something black. All the companies that are leveraging Lightning to where their customers and end users don't even realize that's what they're doing or that's what's happening. Okay, you take things like uh, like Vita. Okay, Vita is fun. It's you know it's a better kind of 
Google Meet, you know, it's a better sort of way that you can have communications tools and get paid for your time and attention and stop spam and all that stuff. But the crux of the business is really solving the settlement issue that's happening with um, regional telecom players um, in Latin America. Okay, and there's risks. There's risks involved uh, with telecommunications and using lightning um, to settle that instantly. Um, the phone companies have no idea, right? They didn't do sort of complex integrations with uh, sort of Bitcoin um, infrastructure companies. All right, they're just getting paid instantly, and that's the same thing that you're seeing with a lot of the send global kind of cross border. Uh, companies that are doing the same thing, right? If you're sending money from the Philippines to the UK, right, from Pouch to Coin Corner or Bitnob in Africa, um, you know, you're, you're, the transfer is happening, you know, instantly, nearly for free uh, over Lightning, and then it's being settled in fiat on the other end. And that's great. And the end user has no idea what's going on. And I think that we're going to continue to see that type of innovation with leveraging the Lightning Network um, to solve a lot of these settlement issues uh, like uh, Sonoda is doing in um, with power. All right. With uh, settling power. Um, it's the same type of thing. So I personally am really excited about that. Mike, do you have any thoughts on um, the direction that Sailor has been going with Lightning in terms of enabling basically an alternative to, to things like air miles and, and loyalty points and, thing, and things like that that companies typically offer people today? So I love that loyalty space. I've invested in a bunch of normie companies that kind of reinvent that whole, you know, Jane did a good job and Bob gives Jane 50 stars and then she saves them up and she gets a freaking Target gift card or whatever happens, you know, that is like a really big market. Okay. And that's really exciting. Um, but here's the thing. Um, does anyone really want Bitcoin in that corporate world? I mean, if you go to like the 200 person, you know, medical billing company, all right, and you get them to to add this as part of their uh, rewards, does Sally in accounting want an Amazon gift card or does she want Bitcoin? I mean, that's the real question that I struggle with in my head. Like, I think it's great to add those kind of integrations. I know Azteco has some integrations with um loyalty uh, rewards sort of companies all over the world where they can add it as one of their many things. But that's my question for you uh, is, do you think that people are ready for that and that they actually want that? Yeah. If they're a Bitcoiner. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. One of my favorite things to do nowadays is like go through something like the Bitcoin company and you can get your gift cards and you get, you get Bitcoin back. Like I, I, Every time I get plane tickets now, I'm doing it through gift cards. And I just got three and, three and like almost three and a half percent back with Delta this morning. And not with Delta, but it's a Delta gift card. Then I got that back in SATs. And I would much rather have SATs back than cash back. You know, all these cash back programs, I would much, much rather have SATs. So I guess it depends on whether somebody has figured that part out yet or not. Like to me, if you're a Bitcoiner and you're going to be spending money on things like hotels and airline tickets and Amazon and whatever. You can buy Amazon gift cards there. You can buy, I mean, they have like, I don't know, 500 different vendors, everything that you would recognize, like things like huge um, 
you know, building construction, supply companies, hardware, all that other kind of stuff. You, you can do Bass Pro Shops. <laughs> um, if, you, if you're into buying golf stuff, there's all kinds of ways that you can do that. And I don't know. I just love seeing that sats balance stack up. That's just me, though. Yeah, we've invested in the, the Bitcoin company. And um, Ben Price is an awesome guy. A lot of fun to have a beer with, that's for sure. Um, and yeah, you can get sats back on everything. And if you're obsessed with it, uh, like we are, right, whether it's the Bitcoin company or satsback.com in Europe, okay, or maybe you're using Fold um, or whatever you're doing, if you're obsessed with sats, then every purchase that you make for your household, I mean, it's probably the number one thing I fight with my wife about, right? If she orders cat food, I'm like, did you use, did you buy it on Chewy? Like, did we get the Mac sats back? You know, so, but I think that we're still in the minority um, for most people out there and like, it'll catch up with it, with it, right? I think we're just waiting for it, but I'm with you. I mean, sats back on everything, every thing that you book travel you can hack the system a hundred different ways uh to try and really make the most of it well there's i mean that's a big topic that we've been talking about over the last couple of episodes here is, is that you know like the meme you know gets 6.15 bitcoin like that was the goal for a lot of people a lot of people start out their goal is just can i just get one bitcoin right and we were talking about how like next cycle it's not going to be 6.15 bitcoin it's going to be point six one five bitcoin and then the next cycle cycle after that it may be point zero six one five can i just make that my stacking goal there's going to come a point in time where people are like how do i get bitcoin and they're going to do it in whatever way they can good morning battle ant he was he was chiming in on this the other day too morning everybody fiat mines yeah sorry i was late to the show sounds like i missed a good one all good man so this this time is coming, right? And um, every every time we go through these cycles, it it seems like uh, those numbers start to shift. And at some point, the question becomes, well, how do you get the Bitcoin? You get it any way that you can, right? Um, with everything that you do, and that really can add up. I mean, I think I've probably pulled I don't know six to ten million sats off a of fold. Uh, in the in the time that I was using it, and the the funny part is, is uh, is one day a lot of that stuff that you get sats back for will eventually be free. I remember one time I got like some fried chicken or something, and you know we got like ten percent back in Bitcoin, and the price of Bitcoin at the time is like, hey babe, when Bitcoin is two hundred and seventy eight thousand, this freaking chicken is free. So if you think about that, every time you get back, maybe 5% in Bitcoin with one of these, uh, one of these companies, you know, you, you we're ultimately going to get there and that 20 X, anything that you're doing with Bitcoin rewards will eventually be free. Do you think there's a, oh, sorry, go ahead, Alex. Oh, I was just going to say that like the, 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 the supply demand dynamic of Bitcoin just continues to just. Look, I've been doing this a while, and it still blows my mind when I think about it. It's like, here's a quick stat. This is from Joe Burnett. In March 2020, Coinbase held over a million Bitcoin, and it has now dropped to 439 Bitcoin. And the amount of Bitcoin on exchanges is being drained. Now, I've had it pointed out to me that 
people can just add back to the exchanges, which will happen, I think, when as the price rises, you know, some people are going to sell. But it's like, who the heck are they going to buy Bitcoin from? You know, you if you see an ETF approved, and for example, like BlackRock will not be buying and selling Bitcoin if their ETF is approved. They have author they will have what's called authorized participants. Who are these people going to be? Probably like JP Morgan's, et cetera, of the world who will go into the market. They will have to buy the Bitcoin. Who they're buying the who are they buying the Bitcoin from? This is gonna be really interesting to see. Go ahead, Peter. I was just gonna ask, you know, currently currently we get cash, you know, cash back, right? I'm I'm doing air quotes like anybody can see me doing it. Uh, currently, we get cash back from from spending cash with credit, well, spending value with credit card companies. Do you see in the future at a time when instead of having to purchase um, a gift card with cuck bucks to be able to get sats back, that we will just be able to use sats and get sats back? Is that something that's possibly coming down the road? Alex, you want to jump in that? Alex just said that, actually. We were talking about um, the Bitcoin company where one of the options, and even with Fold, uh, when you're buying one of these cards, you don't really need to use cuck bucks. Uh, often the rewards are the highest uh, when you pay in Bitcoin. Um, I mean, depending on how you stack your credit card rewards, you know, I mean, some of these cards can pay up to 5%. Uh, back in cash, you know, so um, sometimes it's actually more beneficial to use the the fiat than it is to use the Bitcoin. And then you have to really ultimately buy back that Bitcoin uh, spend and replace kind of thing. I, I mean, when I'm when I'm talking about it, I find it very cumbersome to use to use a bevy of cards. I mean, I know Alex likes to do it. I just don't like to do it. I don't like to deal with the um, with the I guess the burden for me of trying to manage all of those different um, those different gift cards and then trying to manage what I'm doing with the different companies. You know, like you said, there's multiple different companies. What I'm wondering is in the future, do you see um, as more and more companies accept Bitcoin that that there will be plans where you get Bitcoin back when you pay Bitcoin directly to the company, just like I do with a credit card. Now, if I pay with my credit card, I get, you know, so will a, will a lightning provider um, uh, be willing to give me a portion of the fees that they're uh, getting um, to encourage me to use that particular lightning wallet is I guess what I'm getting at. I don't think it would actually be a lightning provider. Um, it really behooves the merchant uh, in that example, because, you know, whatever the cost is for swiping in American Express or even if you have to actually enter the numbers remotely, um, it's significantly higher from what the merchant pays. So, you know, if you own that coffee shop or whatever and you're paying, you know, let's say three to maybe five percent um, in credit card processing fees, it makes sense for the merchant to accept Bitcoin. It solves all the chargeback or potential chargeback issues. And then they, the merchant themselves, would be sort of giving that, you know, sats back reward uh, because of the savings for on the on the interchange. So I'm not sure that it would really be a wallet that kind of incentivizes you to use it. I think it would really be the merchant. And why aren't things cheaper when paying with Bitcoin? That's another thing. 
you know, even when you use Bitcoin um, on, a, on, a, on a lot of places out in the wild, um, it's never like, you know, there's not a cash. When you go to fill up your car, you know, there's a cash price and then there's the like debit or credit price, right? They always hit you for an extra however many cents per gallon uh, if you're going to use a credit card. That should kind of be like the standard when paying with Bitcoin out in the wild. There should be a, um, uh, a different price, really. I reckon there will be a point in time, like I mentioned, people are going to be wondering, how do I get it? What's the cheapest way to get it? What's the most efficient way to get it? People will work for it um, as a means to get it, and merchants will be incentivized to do it. I mean, bottom line is I, one of my largest clients at Swan, uh, the entire reason he became a Bitcoin, this was way back, was that he was getting wrecked on master uh MasterCard and Visa transaction fees. So that two and a half, three percent, whatever it is. I mean, if you have a low margin business, that is crushing you. And this whole thing was just for payments. It just makes a lot of sense. So as Mike said, I think um, the, the vendors themselves will be incentivized to say, hey, pay me in sats. We're going to give you some gift back and it'll be it'll be lower the math will be basically be lower than the two and a half three percent or whatever that they're getting dinged every single time by the credit card companies that's the amazing thing to me about bitcoin is, is that it's all human behavior driven you know it's not like one of these things where it's been being forced upon you with coercion we're going to make you use this thing no people are going to want to use it because it's just in their interest to do so and there's no amount of coercion that's going to make humans not want to do what's in their best interest, generally speaking. Yeah, go ahead. Look, it's hard, though, man, because the reality is, is we're in a bubble here. If you're if you're a Bitcoiner and you're around Bitcoiners and you go to Pacific Bitcoin, you know, maybe there's four or five thousand uh, Bitcoiners there. Right. You're, you're with your tribe. But the reality is, is people aren't using it. Uh, people don't really use Bitcoin and they don't have this sort of mentality. And honestly, the onboarding process um, is still leaves a lot to be desired. You know, all of a sudden somebody finally comes to you after 10 years of hearing you uh, talk about Bitcoin and they say, set me up, you know, and then you're going to start with 24 words and you're going to just absolutely paralyze them. Uh, with, you know, don't ever lose this piece of paper. And then, you know, they, okay, well, I'll take a picture of it. No, 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 don't do that. It's like, okay. Well, <laughs> and then it just keeps going into this whole thing. And it's like, okay, well, we're going to set you up with, uh, with a non-custodial wallet. It's like, what do you mean a non-custodial wallet? Like who, who has the custody of it? Uh, do I have the custody? And you go through all this stuff and they're like, and then, okay, well, we can get you on wallet of satoshi and that'll get you started and then you talk to some people it's like oh i can't believe you got him on wallet of satoshi da, da, da. like he needs to use this wallet and that wallet. it's like dude like you got to just like start somewhere you know and then you're thinking about everything else and it's gone forever and there's no 1-800 bitcoin uh to call so you know i'm an old man i think you're an old man too i mean you remember when email started right email was like a big deal but like the barrier to entry was like a lot less, you know, you had this kind of friendly America online kind of thing, you could get your excite or, you know, email address. And it, it was like easier to get the world um, on email and like, let it catch up. I just still think that it's like really hard, you know, and, um, and, and yeah, I send like I send my mom to Swan, 
you know, set, set up the account, just do it. Um, you know, I'm not really too worried about the withdrawals. I'll probably get shamed for saying that, you know, but like there are some things that are kind of, Hey, set it up every week, let it do its thing, go live your life, forget about it. Eight months later, log in, you know, see what it looks like. Um, but the onboarding is still not simple, you know, just my opinion. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's one of those things you know, slowly over time, we'll figure out how to make it better and smoother. And it has been my understanding. I mean, I have clients who, you know, were buying Bitcoin back in the day through Mount Gox and like the, the stories they tell me about the kind of shenanigans they had to go through in order to buy the Bitcoin. It's just really crazy. So it's better than it was. And I think every day, you know, all the people in the space who are working on it diligently every day are going to make it better and better and better as we go. But I agree with you, you know, for a lot of people, it's still a bit of a hurdle. Thus, you know, that's why some people, I don't know if you, you were around earlier, we were talking about that one guy um, who's, I think, Bloomberg's uh, lead ETF analyst was basically saying, who wants to deal with 12 words? You could just buy it, buy an ETF, right? So that's coming too. And not that I'm recommending people do that, but a lot of people are gonna, whether we like it or not. And that's, I don't know. In some ways, it's not necessarily a bad thing. Um, ideally, we want to teach people about how to protect that, but I mean, it's going to happen. Isn't the like ETF going to be that you can take your Bitcoin off of it, which is unlike the gold ETF? No. Where did you get where did you get that impression? Why would they do that? If you're managing an ETF, why would you want to allow redemption directly with the ETF to retail customers. You, you have any idea of the kind of nightmare that is for a company like that or a business like I, that? I don't know. Strike does it. Swan does it. Uh, yeah, but Trust we, or, or, uh, Fortress does it. There's lots of entities but, that do it. But we're Bitcoin native companies. Uh, uh, okay, just in summary, no, you can't. <laughs> the prospectus is very clear about how they intend to do it. They're going to create and redeem baskets of shares of the ETF in exchange for Bitcoin. And uh, it you have to be an authorized participant, and they're doing it in, in baskets of 40,000 shares at a time. Brandon. Yeah, I think the, this has been a great talk, Mike. Appreciate it. And um, I think that it's uh, my last kind of thought on this is that it's not that it's hard, you know, and I had this this thought five years ago, even as a, a 30 year old and, and we just like psych ourselves out. It's, it's truly some of the easiest technology to work in the world, truly. And it's getting easier by the day. And it was hard 10 years ago, but it's getting easier and easier. And, and it's it's simple, but it's the cognitive dissonance. It's the change that's hard. It's understanding, hey, I'm doing this early. Why do I have to do this, Brandon or Alex, Mike, Peter, and why am I doing this now? My life is comfortable. Life is easy. There was only one trucker incident. There was only one war in Ukraine going on. It's not really affecting my life that much, so I don't have to change. And I think, unfortunately, as humans, that's kind of where we are, where it's hard to get people to change and move out of that status quo unless life is is flashing in front of our eyes. And I think that's that education gap that we're all sitting here trying to just hammer on every single day. So thanks, Mike. It's a great talk today. Real quick on the ETF, I'm sure you guys have beat this to death, and I'm sure that you guys are really following this, but um, I'm under the impression that at a one Bitcoin, uh, if your holding is equivalent to one Bitcoin, you will be able to, um, you will be able to withdraw that. Uh, I'm not sure how that settlement works. You know, they play all kinds of games with the COMEX with 
with gold and silver. You know, you used to be able to actually physically settle that. I don't even know what happens. Like a truck of silver just like pulls up outside your house. Like, yeah, I don't know how that, I don't know how, I always wondered that's like different, what happens. Though. Some truck shows up. But um, I, I think that you may be able um, to settle it at a certain threshold. Um, I could totally be wrong about that. Not with BlackRock. Not no. with BlackRock. I've read the perspectives. T- that's not the way they're doing it. They're doing it very similar to GLD, basically. Okay. But when they launched GLD, I don't think that that really like did anything for the price of gold. Now, I mean, people scream manipulation and all that, but like the suspense and the the, the buildup uh, for the Bitcoin ETF. I mean, if you've been around a while, I mean, we I listened to those. We all, if you were around, you listened to the hearings like five, six years ago. I don't know. I want to say 2015, maybe, um, you know, that those all those early ETF applications that got just shot down. And we had like this, you know, terrible um optimistic delusion of hope uh, that back in, you know, 2015, that that would be approved. Um, You know, I feel like it's going to happen this time, but like, what does it really mean for the price? I mean, you have like every asset manager on the globe all of a sudden uh, that now has access to it. Um, That could be meaningful. You have every generic uh, E-Trade sort of like cookie cutter. Oh, do you want the aggressive or do you want the blah, blah, blah? And like every one of those little pie charts is going to have like a little sliver, uh, which unfortunately will probably say crypto. uh, But hopefully what that means is like, I don't know, at least 90 percent Bitcoin um, into one of these products. I don't know, man. There's some there's some hardcore maxis on some of these mainstream media shows now that are like Bitcoin only. It's pretty funny. Uh, Okay, to your point, Mike, there's a big difference, I think, between um, the proposed spot Bitcoin ETF for um, than there was with GLD. And here's the difference in GLD. There was institutional access to purchase gold. I mean, for a long time. I mean, gold's not a new asset. It's been around for thousands of years, right? So that wasn't, it was exciting, sure. And to the tune of 50 to $60 billion, it grew to within five years. However, 60 billion is a tiny fraction of the $10 trillion market cap of above ground gold, right? So it's, it's, it's very little impact on that ecosystem. However, with Bitcoin, institutions really don't have a very good way to buy it right now. And so if this happens, this will be potentially a good way. Well, in comparison to the other ways that they have had, and that is very different, very different. So I think we could, my personal opinion is I think we're going to see some impactful movement. I mean, you got to ask yourself a question. If, if some of these analysts correct, and that this is going to unleash potentially $27 trillion of institutional capital, I'm not saying all that's going to go into Bitcoin, but, there's a lot of money sitting on the sidelines and there's a lot of institutions that haven't bought it because they didn't really have a good way to do it. Um, where do they get the Bitcoin from? This is where my brain keeps coming back to. Where are they going to get that? We're already the addresses that are smaller than one Bitcoin each are buying something like 38,000 Bitcoin a month or, or there's 38,000 Bitcoin a month moving into those. God candle. That's where they get it from. I don't know, man. It's just, I think it'll be impactful. 
Well, they're going to be in the Poloniex troll box, you know, trying to get it from uh, from everyone on there, you know, and that's where they're going to be. But um, wait, real quick, going back to Coinbase, you know, as far as uh, their reserves and how they've depleted, um, you're attributing that to, you know, not your keys, not your coins and the self-custody sort of uh, renaissance and boom uh, that is like taking place, which is great. But people could have just sold their Bitcoin. You know, I don't know if it's necessarily because of everyone withdrawing to their own uh, to their own managed um, wallet at home. It could just be that they sold it, Alex. Maybe. I mean, I'm not attributing it to anything. I don't know why those numbers are going down, but it's happening on all the exchanges, not just Coinbase. Coinbase is one example. There's a lot of exchanges that there's been massive drawdowns over the last year or so. So I don't know. um what that holds for the future. What I know is that that available float is lower factually than it was in the past. Uh, whether people add back, don't know. I guess we're going to find out. Yeah. Where will they be getting it? Um, probably through Coinbase. Probably Coinbase, Kraken, and a lot of those that's exchanges. The, they're going to be that's supplying not the, it exchange right that's not the exchange selling it those are users that are loading their bitcoin onto exchange to sell it but where i'm, else I'm just blackrock where else can these etfs get it where else can they buy it at, at volume with liquidity than places like that well typically in my experience volume and liquidity in large amounts is bought on otc not on coinbase so i'm very curious about how that's going to work Every single market, may, or every single slash, or quote, authorized participant that's going to work with the, with the ETF will have to get it somewhere. And when you're buying in size, this is just my opinion, but the only way you can do that without massively affecting the price and essentially screwing yourself so that you end up with less Bitcoin is by doing it by OTC. And here's the problem, all right? When the market is volatile, it's just the margin, that tiny little edge. Ant talks about this a lot. There's a tiny little edge, that kind of peripheral zone between U.S. dollars and Bitcoin itself where, where basically the price is made. And it's made on the margin. And I've seen times where the, where the market gets super volatile where if you're placing a big order, let's call a big order 500 grand. You, you, you will move that spot price just a tiny bit and it won't last long, but it, you'll get less Bitcoin. If you're buying a million dollars, it's worse. If you're buying eight digits, it's even worse. So, and I can tell you from seeing this myself in um, OTC channels, like it'll move the price. So you have to break it up. You have to do it in small chunks. What happens when literally billions of dollars are trying to find their way into this market? You have billions of dollars of capital rolling up. You have the, so the market, uh, these authorized participants are essentially going to be trying to arbitrage the price here to keep the price in line with the nav. And they have a financial incentive to do that because they make profit every time they do. But where the hell are they going to get that Bitcoin from? That's where my, what, what I keep coming back to I don't know. Maybe somebody who has some thoughts on this at some point will be able to unpack this more deeply, but it's just, I still think this is going to be crazy. All right. We're, we're eight minutes past the regular time that we wrap. Let's go ahead and wrap up this discussion. Mike, I appreciate you coming. Uh, Vivek as well. Everybody who hangs out on a regular basis. Do you guys want to make any closing comments in regards to lightning ventures or just anything you want to hit before we wrap up here? 
Uh, yeah, I just had a chance to catch up with Corey last week, and uh, I'm pretty pumped. I will be at Pacific Bitcoin. I haven't booked a ticket yet, but um, I'm excited. I was there last year. It was over the top in every way. So um, we'll definitely be there for sure. Um, if you are interested in investing in Bitcoin startups or getting getting started somewhere, um, you can join our group. Um, the website is ltng.ventures or shoot a DM and we'll send you a custom invite uh, and all that stuff. And it will lead to other groups, right? Swan um, has another group called Bitcoiner Ventures. Uh, they actually have a live deal right now uh, that you're not allowed to talk about publicly. Not that I am really big on following those rules, but um, it can lead to other, um, you know, investment opportunities into Bitcoin startups. And if you think we're early for Bitcoin, we're really early for a lot of these companies, right? And when you think about some of these big players that are racing in the space, how are they possibly going to add Bitcoin? You know, Alex is saying, how are they going to buy all this Bitcoin for the ETFs? What happens when these large Fortune 500 companies want to work with Bitcoin? There is no way that they can build it. There is no way that they can just build it. There's going to be a lot of consolidation. There's going to be a lot of excitement around these companies that are uh, that are building the next generation of Bitcoin products, services, innovations, all that stuff. And we think that we're on the forefront of uh, of investing in them. And we'd love to have anyone join our group. So that's it for me. Awesome. All right. Thanks for being here, man. Do appreciate it. That's a wrap. You've been listening to Cafe Bitcoin. Uh, tomorrow coming up on the show, we've got simple mining. Uh, so if you want to come check that out, we'll be doing that then. Um, right on. We do this every single day. Talk about Bitcoin every day, Monday through Friday, live on Twitter spaces, starting about 7 a.m. Pacific, 10 a.m. Eastern roll for two hours. The place for your morning news, preferred hang out with some of the smartest minds in the industry. Also a podcast on Fountain, Spotify, and Apple. Thanks to Swan Bitcoin, the sponsor of this show, my crew. And Peter, Sats for Life, Wicked, and producer Jacob. Appreciate you guys. I'm your host, Alex Danzig, and I work with Swan. If you want to know more, shoot me a DM. Happy to help you. Thanks to the speakers who come up here every single day teaching people about this bright orange future. This is what we call getting on the mission. Love all you guys. Everybody have a great day today. Get out there and crush it.